G'day and welcome to the podcast of Outpost Church in McLaren Vale. We hope you find this encouraging. Take your seats. I think kids, you can head out. We've got a program on for you today. Rachel's leading us today, and Terry's giving a hand. I'll be out there as well. And uh, we're a little, we're extra small. If you feel up for moving a little forward, it might make Shane feel less lonely up here. Um, or don't. Stay where you are. And get excited because this is going to be a great word from Big Shane. Oh, he's prepared it as the best sermon ever. So <laughs> he's coming with all guns blazing. So bring your expectations. Best sermon ever. Get ready. Thank you for that introduction. All right. Are you ready for it? The best sermon ever. Here it comes. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's the opening of the best sermon ever preached. Jesus giving what's often called the Sermon on the Mount. And you can find that in Matthew chapter 5, and also Matthew chapter 6 and chapter 7. It's a fairly lengthy one. Uh, It's one of a few times that Jesus just goes full monologue, 
in the Gospel of Matthew. And if you do have a red letter Bible where the words of Jesus are in red, you will notice when you get to Matthew chapter 5, the first couple of lines are in black and then it's just red letters for the rest of the chapter. Every single word in chapter 6 is in red except for the titles and every word in chapter 7 right up to the last couple of lines is also in red. It's just Jesus preaching what's often called the Sermon on the Mount. Has anyone ever heard the term, blessed are the cheesemakers? Showing your age if you have. So there was a cafe just down the road here called Blessed Cheese, and that was named after this particular phrase, blessed are the cheesemakers. Of course, it was from the movie The Life of Brian, which was some offbeat Brits um, with their comedy, uh, Monty Python, back in the 70s. And um, blessed are the cheesemakers. And it's quite a famous line. And then, so the setting is the life of Jesus. And you have this guy, Brian, who lives a parallel life to the life of Jesus. And there's one moment where he's there for the preaching of the Sermon on the Mount. And you've got someone who slightly mishears what is spoken. And it's like, did he just say, blessed are the cheesemakers? To which someone says, I don't think he literally means cheesemakers. He means makers of all dairy products. Like, awesome. Love it. Fantastic. So we are looking at the most famous speech that's ever been given. Not only is this the best sermon, but it is the most well-known speech that has ever been given. There are a lot of people that can tell you about Martin Luther King and his I Have a Dream speech, but there are a lot more people in history that can tell you about the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a, a collection of teachings that Jesus gave, um, and I'm quite confident that he gave it more than once. Um, if you were to turn to Luke chapter 6, you'll read about the Sermon on the Plain. Not to be confused with the Sermon on the Mount, I think if you know your geographical landmarks and stuff, you'll figure out they are different things. Uh, but he says some similar things in it. Because Jesus was an itinerant preacher who had three years to communicate to people about the kingdom of God. Or as it's often called in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. And so he is constantly teaching about the kingdom and he's also demonstrating the kingdom. We're going to back it up and get a little bit of context uh, before we dive into the words on this. But we're going to have a look at this over quite some time. Uh, we won't necessarily go straight through it week after week after week, but we're going to come back to this and work our way through these chapters because it's very significant and it's a really helpful one for us to bury ourselves in uh, and come to know better and to understand. So Jesus... Spent 30 years in relative obscurity. He grew up as a pretty regular Jewish lad. And after those 30 years, he is baptized and the Holy Spirit comes upon him and the Holy Spirit sends him out into the wilderness. And he comes back from uh, this experience and he starts preaching the same thing that another fella called John had been preaching. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. The exact same words are spoken where he says, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Very significant statement. Repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. We hear that phrase kingdom of heaven 
and can easily think of something that's far off, far off in space, far off uh, in time as well. But the kingdom of heaven is here, is the point that he's making. You might hear that phrase, kingdom of heaven, and think, I'll get there one day. But the kingdom of heaven is here. It's right here, right now. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom. He made it accessible to us. And then when he went up to heaven, he didn't take it with him. The kingdom is here. We have the kingdom here, right here, right now. And it's very significant for us to look into this. Um, as we have been through a couple of times now, uh, that chapter 4, right in the middle, he's calling the first disciples and these guys leave everything and follow him. So he says, follow me. They leave their jobs. Two of them leave their dad in the boat and they go and they follow Jesus. And then we have um, this group of people. I'm going to show you a couple of slides. Um, so I'm going to read this one. So this is, uh, so Jesus, it says at the end of chapter 4, he began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. That's a big one. He is going and he's healing every disease and sickness among the people. It says there that he's preaching the good news of the kingdom. And I want to suggest to you that that is a better title than the Sermon on the Mount. And it's, I think, the title that Matthew gives us. This is preaching the good news of the kingdom. Not only did he preach it, though. Not only did he have words to speak out. His words were impressive. If, if we quickly flick over to, if you've got it there in front of you, flick over to chapter 7, verse 28 and 29. So finally we get some words in black apart from titles. And this is the response of people. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. The words that he spoke had authority because not only was he preaching a message and talking about something that is amazing theory, but he was actually living it out and he was demonstrating it. That's what makes it incredibly powerful. It's not just words, but it comes in power and in a demonstration. So the response of Jesus preaching the kingdom, demonstrating the kingdom, he's healing every disease and sickness among the people. It says, if you go a couple further, Max, it says that this happens. The news about him spread throughout Syria. So they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics, and he healed them. So it's a pretty reasonable thing when you hear about someone who's healing every disease amongst the people to go and tell other people about it and to bring them in. And we can see there's quite a list there. Those who are afflicted, those who are suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, the paralytics. Often I've heard people talk about how, you know, people who are demon-possessed, it may have just been epilepsy back in the day, um, and just a misunderstanding. But both of those things are listed here. You've got demon possession and you've got epilepsy. Um, but Jesus is king over all of these things. And as he brings the kingdom, 
these things are undone. These things that can be seen as a life sentence for somebody are actually undone. And they are free from that. Because he didn't just preach the kingdom, he brought the kingdom, he demonstrated the kingdom. We know that large crowds followed him. Here's a list of different places. From Galilee, from the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. I've got these maps just to give some sort of context to the scope of where people are coming from. So that's present day Nazareth to Jerusalem. If you're going to walk it, allow a day and a bit of walking nonstop. Just a heads up for when you get there. And if we look at them side by side, we can see that Nazareth to Jerusalem isn't even the biggest journey. I've tried to get them in a similar spot on the screen. So from Nazareth is at the base, the southern side of Galilee. And you can see that Jerusalem is getting towards the north of Judea in that brown color towards the bottom. But you've got people who are right around this region. And they are all coming together to Jesus in order to be healed by him. So a large crowd. It says in verse 25, large crowds followed him. We don't know how many. We know later on we get to chapter 14 and there's 5,000 men besides women and children who were there for the feeding of the 5,000. And then the somewhat anticlimactic feeding of the 4,000 uh, that we get in the next chapter. Surely you'd put them the other way around. So you've got the 4,000 first, then you get to the 5,000 and it feels more impressive rather than, you know, 5,000 first and then you get to the 4,000 you're like, oh, why'd you even bother putting it in there? It's only like 4,000 people. He had seven loaves this time instead of five. Of course he was going to be able to do it. Um, so we know there were large crowds. It's thousands of people that are following Jesus. It's very significant numbers. Um, and I mean, if they can sometimes get like 50,000 to a port match, surely Jesus had some massive, massive crowds. Um, surely it's many, many thousands of people that are following him. And we get to the start of chapter 5. And it says that when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. It's an interesting verse. And there's some who emphasize the fact that he's seen the crowd and doing something in response to him. And then his disciples come in. Who were his disciples? As we read that phrase in verse 1, who are they? So Matthew, we get Matthew in uh, chapter 9. So chapter 9 is the first introduction of, of Matthew. So Matthew is probably not following him at this point because he's sitting in his tax collector's booth four chapters later. So who is there? Did someone say fisherman? Yeah, there was at least those four fishermen that he just called in the previous chapter. So they were there. Who else is making up his disciples at that time? Yeah, we've just seen where they've come from. He's got groups coming from the ten cities known as the Decapolis, the purple area over there. He's got people coming from all the Jewish places that we can see up there as well. He's got crowds that are following him. He's just healed a whole bunch of them. I can imagine some of them being healed and going, thanks, I'm going to head back home now. But 
if you've just been completely healed from something that was a life sentence for you, you may want to know more. You may want to find out some more details about what this guy has to say. And so we know the names of four of his disciples at this point, but there's a whole bunch of others that are unnamed. And all we do know is that when Jesus sat down, it was his disciples that came to him. Jesus sitting down, I don't know if he only performed miracles when he's standing up, so maybe they're like, oh, he's sitting down, nothing exciting is going to happen, we're going to you know, head over and catch some other action. Um, but it was the Jewish pose. If you, were going to, uh, if you were going to teach as a rabbi, the classic thing was to sit down. So Jesus takes the teaching pose by sitting down and his disciples come to him. I simply want to encourage you to be those ones who come when Jesus sits down. When he's got something to say, be in that group that comes to him. His disciples came to him when he sat down. Be in that group. We have to choose to listen to Jesus. It's amazing that he, the king of the universe, gives us a choice. But let's take that choice and let's lean in at what he has to say. Is my drink bottle there, Max? To your left? Oh, right there. Awesome. Would you mind putting some more water in it and bring it? Thank you. Uh, Verse 2. So his disciples come to him and then he began to teach them, saying, blessed. I've just shot myself in the foot by asking my... um, projector man to leave right when I wanted him to do some things. So Jamie, you up for it? So there's a few more slides. If you just go to the next one. So the first word that comes out of Jesus' mouth is blessed. All right? First word that comes out of Jesus' mouth is blessed. Like that guy, Jeremiah BTD. On your Jeremiah. Look, he's blessed, clearly. Thank you, Max. And thank you, Jamie. Clearly he's blessed. Hashtag blessed on Twitter. Look at him. He is blessed. When Jesus speaks the word blessed, he has a mixed multitude in front of him, a whole bunch of people. He, we know that he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and he starts off with blessed, or as we may have heard it before, blessed. Can I hear someone say blessed? Blessed. Blessed. And in this mixed multitude, I am sure that there were people who considered themselves blessed. And there were people who would expect to be on a list of those who are blessed. And I'm certain there were people who knew for sure they would not get on whatever list there would be of those who are blessed. And Jesus starts off with that word blessed. Let's just continue through and look at... um, all these ones that I found during the week on Twitter. Getting an amazing position, amazing job position. There's a COVID one for you right there. Yes, got an appointment for a cut and colour. Finally, they're open. Got a house, hashtag blessed. Got a car, it's mine. I won. And that guy... He's on the canvas while I'm standing up with my arms above my head. Therefore, I am blessed. If you just leave that one up there for a moment, that would be good. Thank you. But Jesus starts off not with what would be expected in that culture. 
He doesn't say, blessed are those who are wealthy, because God has clearly demonstrated his blessing over their life. He starts off with, blessed are the poor in spirit. There are a lot of different theories about what that means, to be poor in spirit. And it could mean just people who acknowledge their own poverty of spirit and their need for Jesus. And many people preach that, and I can see some merit in it, absolutely. But I think more likely what Jesus is saying is, blessed are you that are never going to be asked, are not likely in the slightest to be asked to lead a Bible study. Blessed are you that are not going to be called upon to lead the prayers. Blessed are you that seem to be spiritually bankrupt, that don't have anything to offer anybody else. You are blessed. See the guy that's lying on the canvas? Blessed is that guy that's just been KO'd. That was unexpected. Why is the one who is poor in spirit blessed? That person is blessed because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Let's just do a quick survey. We'll read through these different things. We're not going to look at the reason they're blessed. We're just going to look at what's involved. So the poor in spirit, which I've just described. Those who mourn are blessed. Interesting that Jesus would say those who mourn are blessed. Mourning is not a fun thing. You mourn because you deeply miss someone. You are grieved that you don't have them with you anymore. The next one. Blessed are the humble, or many translations say the meek. The ones who don't get because they don't put themselves forward and they miss out on stuff. These humble ones that consider themselves less and often get trodden on are blessed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. When was the last time you were genuinely hungry, genuinely thirsty, so desperate that it wasn't about going to fix yourself something but begging for drink, begging for food? When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, there's a wrong that needs to be righted and you are desperate, crying out that this wrong would be set right. It's not a happy place. That is a place of battle and a place of struggle. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We love the idea of being merciful, but what about getting taken advantage of when you're generous to people? And you give, and you give, and you give, and you get taken advantage of. And the next one, the pure in heart, where you actually have clear standards, and you know the truth. Or we keep going, blessed are the peacemakers. When both parties hate you because you're not on their side, and you're trying to bring reconciliation. That's a tough gig. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of doing the right thing, because of righteousness. All of these things, there is not an obvious blessing. We can look at them and see why they are good. However, each of them is a place of vulnerability, 
and a place of struggle. And what Jesus is doing first and foremost is he is flipping everything upside down. If we were to read Luke's account, he doesn't say blessed are the poor in spirit. He doesn't say blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He says blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry now. You can't spiritualize those things. That's physical need, desperate physical need. And Jesus says you are blessed. But I don't think his main point is that we need to go after these different things in order to become more like it. His main point is you are blessed because the kingdom of heaven is yours. You will be comforted. You will inherit the earth. You will be filled. You will be shown mercy. You will see God. You will be called sons of God. The kingdom of heaven is yours. The blessing that he is declaring is that you don't have to wait until you meet someone else's definition of being blessable. He's challenging those who would see themselves as being a write-off and going, as you are right now, you are blessed. We'll get to Paul's writing in Ephesians chapter 1, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Each of the blessings that is mentioned here is because we are in Christ. The danger of looking at this particular passage and getting really focused on, I'm going to be poor in spirit. I'm going to mourn. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to hunger and thirst for righteousness. The danger of doing that is that Jesus doesn't say, you need to be poor in spirit. He just says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He doesn't tell us to go after it. He just says there's a blessing. But the danger is we take these things and we make that the reason why we get something else. And the only reason we get anything is because of Jesus and his grace and because we trust him. He is our access to the kingdom of heaven. He is the reason that we have the kingdom. He is the reason why we are filled, why we inherit the earth, why we are comforted. Our goal is simply to receive what he so generously gives. I've heard plenty of sermons that go through these and talk about how we can become more poor in spirit, we can mourn more, mourn our sin, um, be more humble. Yeah, sure, they're all good things. But if all we are doing is trying to mourn more about our sin, or if all we're doing is trying to become more humble and we forget that it's just because we're in Christ, we miss the point and we miss the blessing. The blessing only comes for those who are in Christ. See, Jesus withdrew himself and those that wanted to came and joined him. And then he gives this message. When we say yes to Jesus, when we follow him, we are blessed. Full stop. It is all about him. He is the giver of the blessing. And if you're looking for things to do, don't look in this list. You have plenty of things to do as we go through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, as we're told to love our enemies, 
as we're told to pray for those who persecute us. We are given direct, explicit instruction from Jesus about how to live in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Here, he is challenging those thoughts that those who are highly exalted in the world are the ones who are blessed. And he's like, no, I'm going to tell you about genuine blessing. And it's you here that have been rejected and despised. There's a guy, um, Dallas Willard, who I've been reading a bit of lately and have been really encouraged by. Um, This is from the late 90s, so it's a bit dated, but I think there's still some helpful stuff in there. He takes this list of those at the end of chapter 4 and he modernizes it. And so for us, as we're thinking about those who are likely gathered around Jesus, who have been pushed away from society, many of them, this might make it a little more real. Then there are the seriously crushed ones, the flunkouts and the dropouts and the burntouts, the broke and the broken, the drug heads and the divorced, the HIV positive and the herpes ridden, the brain damaged, the incurably ill, the barren and the pregnant too many times or at the wrong time, the overemployed, the underemployed, the unemployed, the unemployable, the swindled, the shoved aside, the replaced, the parents with children living on the street, the children with parents not dying in the rest home, the lonely, the incompetent, the stupid, the emotionally starved or emotionally dead, and on and on and on. Jesus comes not to those who think they are healthy, but to those who know they need a doctor. He comes and he not only heals their conditions, but he also invites them into a kingdom that will never end. We are told that of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So this is not a kingdom that can be shaken. This is not an elected person who could be... um, put out beautifully said Jane this is invulnerable this is the kingdom of heaven and it flips so everyone that we might look at and go they are definitely not blessed Jesus is like what do you mean they are blessed as they are right now wherever you've come from whatever you've just done you are blessed. All that we need to do is come to Jesus. So we trust in him and we are blessed. It's not all those different status symbols. So it challenges those who put themselves on the outer and it challenges those who put others on the outer. And he says kingdom blessing is very different than worldly blessing. So he would have had those who were in a nasty circumstance that was caused by somebody else. He would have had those that were in a nasty circumstance caused by themselves. And he would have had people who were the reason for someone else's nasty circumstance. They're all there. And it wasn't about them having to wait to receive blessing. Blessing was available for them right as they were as it is for us 
He tears through all of our religiosity. All the things that we would say are requirements for blessing. And he says, no, it is totally different. Now, having said that, this list that we are to read through, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the humble, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted because of righteousness, actually read them all as positive things. Right? There is a, a blessing in there, but the reason you are blessed is not because you have done so well in becoming poor in spirit. The reason you're blessed is because of Jesus. And the blessing is that the kingdom of heaven is yours, that you will be comforted. Let's simply seek to come to Jesus and to receive what he has to give. That word blessed, we get it in Matthew 5, we get it in Luke 6. It refers to the highest type of well-being that is possible for humans. So much so that it's what was used to speak of the gods. So that Greek word is what was applied to the Greek gods, them being blessed. And we are told that we are blessed by Jesus, but it's an upside-down view of blessedness. Strange people are blessed. Blessed are the physically repulsive. Blessed are those who smell bad. The twisted, misshapen, deformed, the too big, too little, too loud, the bald, the fat, and the old. For they are all riotously celebrated in the party of Jesus. We're going to take a little bit of time after I pray um, to, to chat together. Actually, we'll do that over dinner. I'll put some questions up on the screen that we can refer back to over dinner. Uh, I'll pray and we'll have our, our last song. So, Father, I want to thank you for Jesus. I want to thank you that we do have a kingdom that is unshakable, a kingdom that is yours and a kingdom that is different to that of this world. I just want to acknowledge for myself how... There has been a discipling in the ways of the world, and I don't want it anymore. Lord, for each of us, may we see the ways in which we've just taken on these understandings from the world around us. And may we reject it and say, no, the kingdom of heaven is the one that we belong to. It is a different kingdom. It is an upside-down kingdom from the world around us. Blessing looks different. Our blessing comes from our relationship with you. And we actually have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because we are in Christ Jesus. Lord, I ask that this would be more real to us and for us and that we too would be people who speak out the kingdom and demonstrate the kingdom. That we would not simply speak it but that we would put it into practice
Hallelujah. And amen. When we see who Jesus spent his time with, like people were shocked that Jesus had dinner with the people that he had dinner with. Because his kingdom was different to the kingdom of this world. I've mentioned before some really simple things that I've chosen to do because I believe in the kingdom. Really simple things like if I sit down next to somebody that I don't know, I'll at least give an opportunity to start a conversation. If I run past someone or drive past someone, then I'll say hello. They're such simple things. But it doesn't matter who it is, how expensive their bike is as they're riding past me. I'll say hi. They're such simple little things. But what we want to see in here, out there, is the kingdom. The kingdom is here. The only lack is in our demonstration of it. I think some understanding is there. We can increase our understanding of it at our demonstration of it. So actually include others. Invite them into our homes. Actually give people time to hear how they're going. Let's be about his kingdom. Now let's sing. If you want to stand to your feet.